back to another edition of Through the Smoke, Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. We're here to finally record the Defensive Backstories podcast. Gabby is recovered from his laryngitis, let's call it. Um, We tried to record it Thursday. It just wasn't happening. No big deal. So uh, we pushed it to today on Wednesday, January 17th to record the Defensive Backstories. Um, Check out the Offensive Backstories if you haven't yet. Some some interesting names and intel and just, you know, the the long and winding road of, of putting a class together on that side of the ball. Uh, of course, we recorded the Instant Reaction podcast to Cam Ward committing on Saturday. Check that out as well for our thoughts there. We'll probably do kind of a, a holistic talking, you know, share our points, uh, our viewpoints on the Transfer portal class, once things kind of get wrapped up, Miami's still working to to add to its class here this week. So don't want to discuss the class before it is across the finish line, I guess. But anyways, we're here to discuss the defensive recruiting, high school recruiting backstories for the 2024 class. And Gabby, um, you know, again, Miami signed a top five class according to the composite a lot of the higher ranked players of this 2024 class come from the defensive side. You look at the 24 seven sports rankings for this class. The top four players are on that defensive side of the ball with Justin Scott uh, being a five-star Armando Blunt is a composite five-star Zaquan Patterson, a top 50 player according to 24 seven and Marquise Lightfoot a the number 60 overall player in the country according to 24/7. So, uh as we know Gabby, this whole cycle, this whole 24 cycle was about putting together one of the best defensive line classes in the country. Uh it took some patience. Uh Miami definitely took their swings at all the top defensive linemen in the country throughout the cycle. Uh they stuck with the process and I think they did sign one of the best uh, defensive line classes in the country. I think the showing of these players in the various national all-star games here in December and January kind of confirmed that. Um, but anyways, there was a lot of swings and misses too. And Miami felt good at various points about different top tier defensive linemen. And so let's start here. Let's start it on the defensive line, Gabby. And I don't know which player you want to start with here in this position group, uh, but the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, just I, I think it's important, obviously. I think defensive line is one of the biggest important, the biggest positions that Miami tried to get dudes at. And like you said, David, I do think they accomplished the goal at the end of the day. But uh, let's go back. Let's just review through a couple big names just over the course of the cycle. I'm going to start with David Stone because I think that's one of the situations that I think Miami fans uh, are probably most familiar with uh, as far as a name and we're, mo- we're most invested in over the course of the cycle. Uh, of course, Miami brought him on campus multiple times and we know that, uh, you know, his family was kind of all in on Miami uh, and then just kind of going back to his commitment day in August. Right. Uh, he was playing in a national a nationally televised game on ESPN. Uh, I believe I believe on the Jersey Shore there against some team from, I believe, Philadelphia. 
And, uh, you know, just talking to David Stone at the Under Armour All-American game during that week, uh, you know, he's he told me that when he was on the bus driving to that game, it, it, it was Miami in his mind. Uh, he was committing to Miami. I know that he had an edit made um, by Hayes Fawcett, who makes a lot of the, you know, edits, the commitment edits for a lot of these top guys. Uh, so he had a Miami edit made ready to go. And he was fully prepared to commit to Miami that day. His family, as some of us may remember from the broadcast, his family had like paper use and were wearing green and orange. Like I think the expectation was that he was going to commit to Miami. For he us said too. on the yeah, we for us too. Gonna, yeah. We were ready we, for that. We were fully that. ready for David Stone to commit to Miami. And um I he said that on basically on the the bus ride over, he got a call from Oklahoma's, I think it was defensive line coach Todd Bates, if I'm getting that right. Uh, basically, and he said it was just on that phone call where he ultimately decided he was going to go to Oklahoma. And I think it's just one of those situations where, you know, it, it, it was tough. It was so close. Like it, it was as close as you could possibly. And I think at the time we kind of relayed this, like this was as, this is as good of a spot as Miami could have possibly been in, in this recruitment for in a situation that it always seemed like he was going to go to Oklahoma, but Miami really was on the verge of landing him. And they didn't literally just marginally. It, it seems like it really just took one phone call to kind of sway things in Oklahoma's way. And look, Miami kept trying after he committed to Oklahoma for a while. I remember right after David Stone committed to Oklahoma, I got a call basically saying that we're like, we are going to flip David Stone before signing. Day. Like they were adamant, like David Stone will be a hurricane. And they tried. Uh, David Stone told me they sent him an, a letter of intent. Uh, that Miami sent David Stone a letter of intent to sign. So they were trying until the very, very end to get David Stone on board. But uh, ultimately, that didn't happen. Um, I, and then I just want to kind of just review, you know, that big official visit weekend that he was on in the summer, right? Like David Stone took an official visit. I think it was like the second week of June alongside basically Miami's like dream vision, a part of Miami's dream vision of what this defensive class like defensive class would look like so it was david stone it was five, it was a uh, aiden breland a five-star defensive lineman who signed with oregon uh five-star edge colin simmons who signed with texas and five-star edge dylan stewart who uh who signed with south carolina so i i talked to every single one of those guys while i was at the under armor all-american game and basically my takeaway was just that there was a point where all four of those guys were looking at each other kind of talking about all four of them playing at Miami. Um, you know, Colin Simmons was telling me that him and and uh, him and Dylan Stewart were basically having conversations about going there, how they would both kind of play off the edge and how Aiden Breland and David Stone would kind of be the interior guys. And and they did, they were having very serious discussions about all four of those guys going to Miami and doing all that together. I think ultimately at the end of the day, each one of those guys was kind of looking at the other waiting for one of them to kind of make the move mm -hmm. and neither i like to me it just i kind of got to read that neither one of them kind of did it so i mean they all were kind of like i think if one of them like let's say uh let's say david stone would have committed to miami like i think that i think that it would have i think that would have had a ripple effect on potentially a lot of these guys but i think maybe the one that was probably closest was aiden breland uh, you know, chatting with him and just hearing some of the things that he was telling some of the other people at Under Armour Week, it did seem like uh, grandma wanting him to be closer to home played a huge role in him going to Oregon. 
And, uh, you know, I think he, he was even telling people that he was that he almost went to Miami, that he was kind of, you know, potentially like ready to commit to Miami. But I think his, some family members wanted him close to home. But all of these guys, I think, were having uh, conversations about playing at Miami together, um, you know, which it, it didn't particularly work out that way. But, um, you know, I think it's a it was I think it was good that Miami missed on all those guys and still found a way to collect a class that was just you know, really, really big time along the defensive line. Uh, another name on the defensive line that I think created a lot of noise during his recruitment process is Camarian Franklin. Uh, really just truly one of the most puzzling recruitments to me of this cycle. And and honestly, I don't even really know all of the like nitty gritty details of that right now. Uh, like I've like I've, I've been trying to figure that out, but I haven't been able to get a great grasp of what exactly happened. I think we have an idea and we can figure out how it, he ended up at Ole Miss. But I, I mean, there were times I mean, he, he visited Miami a ton of times and, uh, you know, Miami was all, always under the impression that Tennessee was the biggest competitor. I think at one point Auburn kind of started to emerge, but I think Camarion just over the course of his recruitment was kind of telling people that like Ole Miss was like not even re a real option. Like Ole Miss was not considered like o Ole Miss was like not even really even on the radar of what Miami was concerned about when they were in the thick of that Camarion Franklin recruitment. And when that kind of emerged kind of at the end, um, you know, that I think Miami was just like, okay, like, yeah, I just think it was just a weird, like, you can't really predict that and didn't really foresee that because nothing he said over the course of the process made it seem like he was actually considering Ole Miss that uh, strongly. So, I mean, that kind of, it just, it is what it is. It's also uh, like, if you go back and look at, you know, previous classes or even classes from the last 10 years or so, pulling young men out of the state of Mississippi that are SEC level recruits is tough to do. Generally speaking, they go to Ole Miss or Mississippi State. And if they are elite elite, they are um, going to go to like Abama. So, you know, I, there are some uh, examples of guys leaving the state of Mississippi uh, for a different school. Um, but for the most part, most of those guys, like Cam Akers comes to mind. He was a highly touted guy out of the state of Mississippi, ended up going to Florida State. But for the most most part, a lot of those guys just end up staying in state or um, going somewhere relatively nearby at an SEC school. So that was a tough, tough, tough one for Miami because um, they, they did, like you said, they did it as good of a job as you could recruiting someone from the state of Mississippi being in the game, uh, it just didn't go their way. Yeah, I, I think that's a very, very, you know, obviously, I think that plays a big, big role in it, too. Um, Jericho Johnson is a name that came. I think he was he was like a definitely a top, top target at. Um, I think he was a definitely a top target at one point of this whole defensive line recruiting cycle. I mean, Miami really, I think when they really started to evaluate the top of kind of what was available in the class of 2024 Jericho Johnson's name was one kind of at the top of the list he visited for the spring game he never kind of got down with family I think there was a reason for that I just think that that was a situation that was kind of tough for 
I don't know. There was just a situation there. It seems like I don't want to get like too into it because I don't know all the details super well, but I know enough to just feel like I shouldn't touch that. But I just think that there was just an internal thing there that Jericho Johnson and Miami were just not really going to kind of work out as a partnership. So uh, that kind of crossed that off the table maybe earlier than I think anyone would have hoped. But, um, you know, he and I think he ended up signing with Oregon. So uh, mm-hmm. that's where he ended up going. Uh, Jaden Jackson, the IMG defensive tackle. Uh, he was ba- my understanding just over the course of the process was just he was just going to do whatever David Stone did. I think those two are very close. And I think he wanted to play at the same school as David Stone. And I think that's a part, not a part. I think Miami liked him, you know, individually as a player, of course. But I think, you know, him going to Oklahoma was kind of a tell that David Stone was going to Oklahoma. Right. And I think if David Stone would have gone to Miami, I think that Miami would have gotten Jaden Jackson too. So it, it, I think they felt like, you know, they like Jaden Jackson was a big key to David Stone in more ways than I think some people realized. Um, let's go over Kendall, I mean, Kendall Jackson. Is another just fascinating situation to me because everyone wanted Kendall Jackson in the summer. Uh, you know, the, the defensive lineman out of uh, out of the Gainesville area who committed to Florida after taking, you know, a slate of official visits in the summer, including one to Miami. Uh, you know, Miami lo- like literally loved Kendall Jackson in the summer. Uh, I think everyone, a lot of people did, but I don't think he had the best senior year. Uh, and then it led to, you know, him in Florida parting ways. And then he kind of like spontaneously committed to Miami. And that was just, uh, again, for, for those that kind of follow the recruiting day to day. He didn't run it by Miami. First. Right. He he did not clear that. Like, I think he I think they, I do think there were some discussions about, hey, coach, you know, maybe I want to be here. But he definitely didn't, didn't get the green like, light. He didn't. He de- definitely not. He didn't go through the proper channels. He didn't go through the process the right way. So he just randomly commits to Miami one day early in the afternoon, which is immediate. Like, you know, again, red flag in my mind. So I'm trying to verify this thing, verify this thing. Like, is this kid committed? And again, I think Miami was so caught off guard by the situation that they had to kind of like internally, like deliberate, like, like discuss whether they were going to move forward with this. And I think that they did just because I think it was easier to kind of kick the can down the road and deal with it maybe later than it was to do something just in that moment, see what things look like in a few weeks, see where they were at with certain guys. And then you can always make a decision then which is basically exactly what happened. Like, you know, they followed through with it. Um, Kendall Jackson hadn't been to Miami since the summer. It's not like even like he had visited during the season. I think he was supposed to visit one day, but he didn't make it, whatever the case is. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, Miami just decided that they weren't going to sign him. You know, I think they made those intentions known. And then he quote unquote flipped to Texas A&M. Um, but I just think... I, to me, it never really felt like, uh, you know, that was a situation that was ever really a thing. Uh, it just kind of became a thing because of the spontaneous nature of it and the, like, the randomness of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that Miami had to really think about what they were going to do there. And I think at the end of the day, that just wasn't a situation that they, uh, you know, wanted to invest in long term. Um, Francis Brew was a name that kind of came up in the middle of the season, right? I think... Uh, you know, Miami kind of did a senior eval, like I guess just senior tape eval on Francis Brew. I think he was out of the like the pits or maybe I think it was like Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, yeah. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio area. Committed to Pittsburgh. Committed to Pitt. And um, I just think after like an in-person evaluation, they decided to kind of move on. 
uh, you know, after they kind of went up there and saw him in person, it just, again, just didn't kind of work out the way that maybe they had hoped. So they moved on from him. Uh, T.A. Cunningham, I think, was just a big name in the 2024 recruiting cycle. I just don't think Miami was just ever really big fans of him. I mean, he went to he transferred to Miami Central. I know they watched him in like a spring practice, like during that same time where they kind of like randomly fell in love with Vincent Shavers. Um, and and they just I, I just think everyone was very, very underwhelmed by T.A. Cunningham. He didn't really want to camp in the summer. I think he had opportunities to kind of showcase himself. He just didn't. He landed at Penn State. He, he'll be fine. But yeah. I just don't think Miami was super overly impressed. Um, let me see. Oh, uh, I think this is a pretty – I think it's a very, very interesting one. Sorry, I'm just going through a bunch of notes. Uh, there was a point where Miami was trying to get into the game for Maris Williams, who is – I guess he, he signed with Auburn, but he was a longtime Florida commit uh, from the state of North Carolina. There was a point, I don't know, even know exactly. I think it was probably early to middle of the season where Miami was like really, really trying to get involved in the Maris Williams situation. I think they were seeing where that thing was trending. He started looking around at Ohio State. I think at, at one point people thought he might flip to Ohio State. Uh, but Miami was really, really working to try to get into that Maris Williams uh, situation they they never really got any traction in that situation and of course you know Auburn ended up getting him but I know Miami definitely tried to kind of get into that one so I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone else on the defensive line but that's about the yeah and it I is got. crazy too like the guys that they got committed just the way those things happened with Justin yeah. Scott flipping to Miami out of nowhere Armando Blunt and his you know back and forth reclassifying yeah. to this class um you know, Marquise Lightfoot, even he was because things were looking rough in the summer with their D line recruiting, and Marquise kind of gave them some life, gave them a big timer uh, yeah. on the defensive line. What about Artavius Jones? Was there anything interesting there? Or? Yeah, I think I think that there was a lot less concern on Miami's end that whole time than I think maybe there was like the perception of like Florida State early on. I I I really don't feel like Miami ever. But at least from the Artavis Jones camp, I don't think they felt like they were ever really in a place where they were going to lose him. And, you know, he visited UCF like he went he went to he went to UCF. He, you know, was at Florida State. But I think Miami did a good job of kind of buttoning that one up uh, when they did. And again, I think obviously there was just some back and forth stuff. But I think people also got to understand that, like the type of person Artavis Jones is, he's just very nice you know he's very like kind of like innocent in a lot of ways and I think he gives off the impression that I think when he was kind of going through the process this is something that's very unique uh it, it was different for him and just I think just the area in general that he's from that doesn't produce a ton of football players and all that and uh I just think his personality type made it seem like you know he, he was loving on Florida State and loving it's on all these other people guy. yes yeah. and um I think Miami felt like they had a pretty good grasp on that one. Uh, the Armando Blunt, I mean, situation is absolutely nuts. And truthfully, I think that the plan the entire time was to go to like, that's kind of what I've gathered at the end of this thing is like, I do feel like Miami was always the spot. Uh, you know, he gave an early commitment to Miami as a 2025 after the Texas A&M game. And then, you know, I think as it became more real that they were going to be 2024s, I think, you know, of course, there's opportunity. To, NIL. Yeah, there's NIL opportunities and ways to create 
more value for yourself. And I think that, look, the Blunts explored a way to maximize their value. But I do think in their like heart of hearts, uh, their intention at the end of the day was to be at Miami. I just think the path to getting themselves to Miami was, uh, you know, definitely an interesting one. Just because I yeah. think, I think the communication from the Blunts in Miami was always kind of, you know, I, I and truthfully, I think the Blunts were kind of transparent uh, with yeah. Miami like this entire time, and I think that this was, you know, maybe a play to, you know, again maximize that value a little bit more. Uh, at the again, I think that was the bottom line of it. I'm not saying it was always like lining up to be that way, but I think at the like again, that was just kind of like the matter of factness of it that I've kind of taken away from that situation. And I do think Miami was always where they kind of wanted to be. And look, I, and you know, even with some of those others, like you know, Justin Scott, and I think we've talked about that one kind of in depth of how that kind of happened at this point. But look, Miami's always where he wanted to be, and you know, he had to basically just convince mom that, yeah. that he wanted to be at Miami. And once that conversation kind of happened, which was a hard, difficult conversation he had to have about his own future. I think mom was on board and you know, that was that, but I it think was like that was the reverse David stone, like reverse David stone. Yes. Mom wanted Miami. David stone wanted Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. So this yeah. is the, like the David stone situation that worked for Miami. Right. It benefited right. Miami. So, right. Yeah, I think that's a pretty I think that's a pretty thorough, uh, you know, background on this defensive line class and how it all kind of came together. Linebacker was also in the summertime. Miami had a, a ton of big timers uh, visit in the summer uh, that did not go their way. Miami's linebacker class still ended up being uh, talented two man class uh, with Adarius Hayes, Miami flipping him from Florida. Uh, on signing day and Cameron Pruitt, uh, the linebacker out of Alabama who Alabama tried to, you know, kick the tires on there and make a move. And he stood by his commitment to Miami. I know Booker Pickett kind of might be a hybrid ish player at Miami. Let's see. I think, I think he's shown a, you know, some edge rushing potential there. So I would keep him there, but I know he's a guy that kind of talks about uh, as playing both. But let's go to back, you know, back to the summer with some of the key targets maybe yeah. that that Miami was not able to close on. Where do you want to start? Yeah, uh, I think one of the big ones is Chris Cole. Uh, you know, he's a nephew of Rohan Marley. Um, Rohan Marley, the former Miami linebacker, uh, you know, I, I, he, Rohan Marley was so involved in that recruitment that I felt like it was almost kind of like uh, a late, I don't know. It, it felt at times that Miami felt like there was a, a good path to potentially landing him and adding him to the class. And I think, you know, at the, at the point where Miami got involved, I think Chris Cole was like, I think he was still kind of ranked as like an 87, 88, you know, so he was a three-star guy. Miami felt really good about him. They felt like he was a total stud, but he was kind of under, like, I don't know, under ranked compared to where he ended up finishing ranked. Um, so I think once he kind of blew up to that point, I think it just got a little, you know, naturally got a little harder to kind of, yeah. you know, get all this stuff together just because it became a much stronger and, you know, again, more yeah, yeah, the competition elevated the whole situation just became way more competitive in multiple ways. Uh, so I just think it just became harder. He ended up at Georgia and, you know, good, best of luck to him. But uh, I think, you know, that was a situation where Miami had family ties and it was a good eval. 
yeah, good eval. It was a good eval. Uh, you know, Miami definitely liked him uh, a lot. Uh, James Nesta is another one that Miami liked a lot during the summer. Uh, you know, he was, I, I mean, it, I, I thought at one point he was going to go to Miami. I think when he left his official visit uh, in June, it, it seemed like he was going to Miami, but Miami really tried to kind of get it done that weekend because I think that there was just concern that weekend that if he left Miami and went to Oklahoma, he was going to go to Oklahoma just because I think they were going to feel like it was a better fit. Um, you know, that Oklahoma was just a bit, just a more natural maybe fit. And I, I, I mean, knew that. So I think once he left uncommitted wanting to check out Oklahoma, I think they knew that he was going to kind of go there, but during, and, and James Nesta is kind of, he kind of, kind of fell off my radar for a while, but kind of back end of the fall, he kind of reemerged on the radar um, because he was supposed to be at the Louisville game. Uh, like he was on the visitors list for the Louisville game. And like, I think from my understanding, the family went through all the, you know, the, the, the things like the technicalities of like filling out the paperwork to get the tickets and yada, yada, yada. Um, but they just, I think, I just think they ultimately just, I mean, they ultimately didn't show up. Like they didn't make it. So Miami never got that last opportunity to, you know, kind of present themselves to James Nesta. But I do think at the end tail end of the cycle, they considered kind of re-exploring the Miami option. And again, I think it worked out for Miami. And I don't even know for sure if Miami kind of would have done that. Cause I think at that point they were already so invested in a Darius Hayes that they wanted to kind of see that one through. Um, so I don't even know if they definitely would have taken James Nesta. Uh, Keyshawn Flowers is a name that visited during the summer. Uh, I think he tried to commit to them on the visit and Miami was kind of like, yeah, maybe not right now. Um, so I know that that was one where, you know, again, I think Miami liked him, but you know, again, I don't think he was top choice, but I think they had to kind of just hit the pause button on that one. Uh, Dylan Williams, uh, an Oregon, he signed with Oregon. I, I believe he signed with Oregon, but apparently he was like reaching back out to Miami at the tail end of the cycle, trying to see if something could kind of materialize there. Of course, Miami didn't really want to explore that option. And, you know, they if they wanted to, they would have earlier, and they didn't really ever go full throttle on Dylan Williams. Um, and then I think it's worth talking about Vincent Shavers, the Miami commit who, you know, was, you know, they parted ways at the end of the cycle. Uh, I, I mean, I thought it was an interesting take at the time when they kind of did all that, uh, when they took him. And, yeah. and really, I think what happened was, uh, you know, they went to a central, I think it was a like spring practice or whatever it is during that contact, uh, uh, or, you know, evaluation period. And they said, I mean, the, basically the feedback was that Vincent Shavers was the best player on the field. Uh, that was the feedback I got at the time. And I think that there was some like PTSD kind of from the Stan Quan Clark, uh, right. from the Stan Quan Clark recruitment where he transferred into central as a senior after playing at Killian, where he was more of like a, you know, kind of not super physical linebacker safety type where there was just questions about how willing of a tackler he was. But then at Central, he really took that next. And then Miami didn't take Stan. Like Miami could have taken they Stan. Slow Wong, played but, him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then by the time that he kind of started, it, by the time he was committed, I think he kind of blew up then and Miami had to try to flip him from Louisville. And that was going to be tough. So I think with the Vincent Shavers deal, I think they were, I don't know if it was concerned or they felt like if he did kind of have that same developmental track, that it was better to just take him now, uh, you know, kind of trying to learn that lesson from the cycle before it just didn't work out that way. I mean, Vincent Shavers did not 
develop in develop in the way that Stan Quan Clark uh, developed. So uh, I think that that was just the overall situation there. And Miami, you know, felt like they had to kind of move on. Yeah. And then uh, corner, you know, I think it's fair to say, Gabby, if, if you're saying if you're if you're looking at this class and and, you know, trying to pick out maybe a hole in the class, I think Miami was not able to land what would what would be considered a potential cornerback one uh, in the future. They, they went after plenty of guys, just weren't able to pull them. I will say I, I am encouraged maybe a little bit by Ryan Mack and his potential to be a contributor at the college level. So I think that's a that's an intriguing signee. Yeah. Um, but really, they were never never able to get that like six foot CB1, you know, outside corner that can cover the best teams uh, wide receiver that they're facing. Uh, they, they went after a lot of games or names. They, uh, you know, came in second maybe for a lot of these highly ranked guys. But yeah. as we know, second place doesn't matter in recruiting. Let's start with with the guy at the top of the board. Uh, five-star Ellis Robinson, who, you know, committed to Georgia early in the process, but still maintained an open line of communication with Miami throughout the whole year. Um, just never... Never really seemed like Miami gave him much in terms of a on-field product to kind of force his hand into, you know, really exploring a flip to the Hurricanes. How, how would you kind of characterize this commitment? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I don't I think that he was, you know, we talked about the whole cycle. I mean, with Ellis Robinson, um, that Miami was gonna have to win, right? They're they're gonna have to prove it on the field in order to get his his commitment and and he did watch Miami beat Clemson, which I think, you know, helps, you know, in that way show that, you know, they can beat a big brand in college football. But I just think ultimately over the course of the season, they didn't do enough then to give themselves a real shot. And I think truthfully, I, I mean, I think the closest they ever got was probably after the season, right? Which is, again, I think this is where Mario Cristobal and these guys really just kind of elevate that recruiting game uh, during that in-home visit season. Uh, you know, yeah. Ellis Robinson's primary primary recruiter at Georgia's Fran Brown, who takes the head coaching job at Syracuse. So Georgia has a DB coach opening. And I think Miami really tried to take advantage of the fact that of just that situation. And I think they got I think they got really, really close, you know, to, yeah. you know, to the they point where think. they made him think a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I think that that was pro I think there was a point in December sometime around that there was probably like a two day window there where I thought like oh man Miami's gonna flip Ellis Robinson but um I mean it ended up you know it, it obviously didn't happen that way uh you know it, it never really came together but I think that there was I don't know 24 to 48 hours where it seemed like it could be as possible as you know it ever was before so um you know it again it, it didn't come that together and I think ultimately it came down to the fact that Miami uh, you know, didn't get the results on the field that they wanted. How about Zay Mincy, who, uh, you know, out of Daytona Beach, Mainland High School, um, he was a guy that Miami was probably the leader in the clubhouse uh, after the summer. Um, what can you say about this commitment? Of course, he, he ended up committing and signing with Alabama at the end of the day. Um, but what... What can you say about the way this recruitment, the twists and turns with Zay Mincy? Yeah, I mean, Zay Mincy, 
he was basically a silent commit to Miami. I think from the from after the Texas A&M game, which is when he first visited from that point on, he was basically a quote unquote silent commitment. And again, I don't think Miami was like banking on that. Like, I think they they obviously knew that there was a lot of work to do a lot of things. Excuse me. A lot of things that had to happen between then and like actually getting his signature, getting him to sign and all of the and, you know, but he was silently committed, quote unquote, silently committed to Miami. And really, and I think everything was going very, very well. Like, you know, I think there was, you know, a good back and forth. Miami understood the deal. I think they obviously wanted to get him to go public and they wanted him, you know, I think they definitely pushed to try to get him to go public with it. But that, you know, ultimately, I think that just never really materialized, um, you know, the way that they would have liked it to. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, when it was kind of getting when it was kind of crunch time, when it was time to, you know, he, he signed in December, he signed with Alabama that, you know, during the early signing period there. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but there was a conversation to some extent. And I think that basically my understanding of it is that the Mincy's just got cold feet and we're really thinking about other options. And look, over the course of the entire cycle, I, I think I, I, I do think Miami felt like Alabama was the biggest threat more so than Florida and Florida state. And I know I wrote that a few times, you know, m- multiple yeah. times, potentially that Alabama was, was, was the main concern. And I do think that, you know, I, I don't I don't even really know what like the path was to Mincy going to Alabama like I like for at some certain points of the cycle like I didn't know what Mincy being a part of that class looked like as far as like what they wanted to do at the position um but you know again I, I felt good about where Miami was at just because he was silently committed to the Hurricanes and again at the end of the day I think he just got cold feet and I think he saw an opportunity to jump on board in Alabama's class and he took it you know he took it yeah. at the end of the day and that's and that's what happens and you know, again, I think that's why Miami wanted him to go public so bad, because I think it makes something like this happening a lot more difficult, uh, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, those are two tough misses in Ellis Robinson and Zay Mincy. I think they're I think they're really talented cornerback prospects. So uh, two tough misses. Another tough miss at the end, kind of a local uh, late riser senior, you know, strong senior season type Xavier Lucas. Miami tried really hard to flip him from his Wisconsin commit. Um, you know, seemed like all fall they were kind of uh, working that one. What happened with that one behind the scenes? You said Xavier Lucas, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think this was, I think this was a situation of him wanting to leave home more than it was even about Miami. And Miami obviously poured a lot into trying to get him to stay, and. You know, I think that I just think at the end of the day, and it, and it's not absolutely not my place to say or, or speak into any like his situation at all. Um, but I just think that there was just some things that were just very attractive to him about leaving South Florida, going to Wisconsin, getting away from you know the area and you know the you know everything. Um, so I think Miami was combating that more than it was like battling Wisconsin. I think they were just battling. Uh, you know, I think they were trying to sell him that he could stay home and still kind of separate from whatever it was that he wanted to get potentially get away from. Um, so I think at the end of the day, he just decided he wanted to leave. Uh, I think he also genuinely did like Wisconsin. He's a smart kid who, you know, I think saw of saw value in going to Wisconsin and, 
you know, do like following through with that. They do a great job with defensive back development. Uh, I think educationally, I think Wisconsin's a really good school. And I think he saw that. And again, I think it was more just about kind of going than it was about like Miami specifically. So I think that was ultimately the the barrier that Miami that Miami had to try to overcome. And I just don't think that they were able to do that. How about some other cornerback names to know that popped up during the cycle? Yeah, I think another name that popped up randomly, uh, honestly, around the same times as the Amaris Williams name is Ify Odebegu, The I think he's out of the Baltimore St. Francis school in, um, yeah, you know, in the DMV area, of course, assigned with Oregon. His name came up to me randomly, um, you know, at one point during the recruiting cycle, but nothing ever materialized all that, uh, you know, of that. I tried very hard to kind of dig on it to see what, what kind of came of it or what was coming of it. And I just, you know, never really got much back. So again, maybe it was just like a little blip where they just tried to see if they could figure something out there and never really materialized it too much. Uh, the Sione Laule, the junior college cornerback from the College of San Mateo. I don't think Miami loved his sophomore tape and all that. He ended up getting another one that signed with Oregon, but I think Miami really just kind of tapped out, pulled out of that situation late and were not able to kind of, you know, I, I just don't think they really like loved that option at the end of the day. And I think another one that's worth talking about, I know people had a ton of questions about it always is, is Jalen Hayward. Um, and I think I don't want again another situation. I don't want to say too much, but I think bottom line is he just kind of rubbed some people the wrong way with some of the things. Maybe personality fit. Yeah, not a good personality fit. Um, not a good personality fit. And I think there was just you know I think that's just bottom line what 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 happened that he wasn't going to Miami. He told me at the Under Armour game that when he decommitted from Georgia, he was he was going to Miami. Like in his mind, he was going straight. He was going to Miami but I just don't think it worked out for the two. So I think those are, I think th that's pretty much the cornerback, you know, back in sight and all that. How about safety? Cause uh, Miami was able to land uh, one of the higher ranked safeties of the cycle in Zaquan Patterson at a local Shamanah Madonna prep. That one was interesting in terms of it. It really was, it, it emerged as a Miami Florida state battle. Um, in the summer months, it kind of seemed um, seemed like the perception was that Florida State was kind of the team to beat when when he was a week out of his commitment. Now that we kind of have some hindsight uh, when when looking at this recruitment, how do you view that Zaquan Patterson build up to his commitment? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and you know, just talking to people after. Zaquan committed to Miami like they were just la I mean again they were just like laughing at all like the reporting that was going on beforehand just like saying how entertained they were by it all but they never really uh, and truthfully to me and and really what I kind of felt over the course of the week and it was hard to kind of project this because I feel like so much of the national or outside reporting kind of reflected that Florida State was such a strong suitor but I think what I was getting on my end and, you know, from the Miami side was like they did not feel like he was going to Florida State. Like they did not. Like I think there was more concern about like Auburn and Michigan, uh, you know, internally than there was about Florida State. But there was so much Florida State buzz at the time that it was hard for me to just be like, no, like I, I'm not hearing that. Like I'm not hearing a lot of Florida State stuff. So um, but. And I, I I do think that Miami wasn't really sure which way it was going, but 
I think that they felt good. It was probably Wednesday or Thursday, maybe. Yeah. I think that they started to like really start to feel good about where things were at there. And then Saturday, I mean, I think it was a Saturday morning when he committed. Yeah. That it was just that morning. It, it was just like all Miami. But, uh, you know, again, even just seeing how the situation, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I don't think that he was ever going to really go to Florida State. Like, I think if it was anyone else, it probably would have been Michigan. I still think it would have been Michigan or Auburn. Like, had he decided to step away from Miami or do something else like that, I think it would have been Auburn or, or Michigan. I don't know that Florida State was ever a serious contender to kind of be that the, the landing spot for, for Zaquan Patterson. All right. Good stuff. Any other backstories? Is that wrap things up on the defensive side for you? Yeah, I, th- I think that kind of wraps things up. There's nothing else that I was able to kind of think of or that kind of stood out. I I hope that that's a good, you know, yeah. kind of insight into how some of this stuff kind of goes over the course of the cycle and things like that. Yeah, the defensive line class stuff is interesting. And look, my take is, you know, I think it. I think it's hard. It Miami was in a tough spot. I, I liked the ambition, of course. I think that's you gotta have that in recruiting. Um, but you know, coming off a five and seven season, it's just hard to convince guys to jump in with you um, coming off that type of season. And honestly, Gabby, like, I think if you're looking ahead, if you're projecting and look, if Miami can somehow keep this trajectory going now with Cam Ward in the fold, uh, I think it's fair to say that that things should continue to level up. And if Miami can go and win nine or 10 games or more this year, uh, you know, top three classes, I think should be the expectation with this recruiting staff. Would you push back on that? I think, you know, again, they signed a top 10 class after a five and seven season. They signed a top five class after a seven and six season. If they can just start getting those on-field results to validate uh, what they're doing, I think this, you know, even too, of course, with Nick Saban stepping down, that's, that's kind of a vacuum uh, in terms of elite players. Uh, it's, it's going to leave, um, it's gonna the domino effect of that elite players are gonna spread around even more now, I think. So I'm encouraged by the trajectory. And look, they sent out to they set out to sign the top defensive line class. I don't know if they did sign the top defensive line class, but they signed a top three defensive line class. For sure. And that's big time. No, it's huge. And I think what Miami's again, this is gonna be a high power recruiting operation, and it's just uh non-stop effort in trying to get these dudes on campus and trying to get these guys around the program and try to get them in the program uh, like you know just to get these guys just you know on the boat and look i mean this is we're, we're now we're in what the middle of january and we're ready you know kind of cranking this thing back up for the class of 2025 and you know they're already kind of putting their you know best foot forward with, with a lot of different you know, class of 2025 targets. So we're just going to, they're just going to keep trying to, you know, stack these elite groups on top of one another. And you do that enough times and you have your program in a, in a position yeah. to, to succeed long-term. So I think Mario Cristobal and these guys are, are, are on the right track. And, uh, you know, again, I think it just takes 
you know, with, with a winning season, hopefully, and, you know, as the results on the field continue to improve, I think we're only going to see the recruiting classes get better and better. So excited to see, uh, you know, what else these guys got in store for the future. We'll be all over it at InsideView.com and uh, here on Through the Smoke as well for this uh, 2024 calendar year, 2025 recruiting cycle. So appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, our next podcast will probably discuss some of the current ongoings with transfer portal additions here that they try trying to squeeze in here at the deadline at the buzzer um and whatever else pops up from a news standpoint so appreciate for everyone for listening 2024 class is a big time class for the miami hurricanes but you got to keep stacking you got to stack for these type of classes on top of each other uh because college football is a talent acquisition sport Till next time, take care.